name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today's Gospel is one of the more difficult ones, the prodigal son. And I struggled with this one this year because forgiveness isn't an easy thing, right? Sometimes when people wrong us and wound us, it's very difficult, very, very difficult to forgive. And so I felt hypocritical even meditating on it, but thinking of the people whom I have struggled to forgive, right? If there were things that I felt personally wounded by, but I guess that's why our Lord spoke it, was to remind us of who He is and who we're supposed to be. So we'll meditate on the Gospel, which is primarily about two huge things. The will, okay, which is shown in our freedom, right? And lust, which is just desire, not just sexual lust, but desiring anything. So we talk about the Father's forgiveness a lot, and that's good. But I think let's talk more about what made the Son go wrong to begin with, right? Because most of us are in the place of the, the Son. So we see a story of a kid who had everything, okay? He was, he was spoiled. Um, and it's clear that he was in a rich family, right? His dad was, 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 was loaded, his dad was rich. Um, and we can see that even from the party that he throws at the end of the story, right? That he, this, isn't, this is a lavish party, it's not a small one. So the son had a roof over his head, he had food to drink, and obviously he knew his dad would rich, was rich, or he wouldn't have the inheritance on the back of his mind, right? If he was living like poor, then that wouldn't even be a thought that crosses his mind. But the, but he's got on his mind, my dad has money, I want it. So, they're, they're rich and spoiled. I'm not sure if he had many friends or not, um, because when he leaves the house, he leaves alone, right? So I don't know if he had friends, if he didn't have any, or if he rejected them, right? Which would have been an even more difficult thing. Um, or if he kept things as a, as a secret from them. But the problem is that the son wanted more. We know that the Father is loving, but we don't know that the Son is actually very loving. Um, in fact, the evidence seems to point that he was a terrible son, right, with the way that he behaved. He, maybe he wasn't, but that's what it looks like. Um, and the Son's mind was anywhere but the present. All he could think about, all he could see, was what he didn't like, right, about his situation. And how do we know this? by seeing what he did when he left, right? He wasn't happy with a regular life, right? He wanted to party all the time, not like here and there, like that was what he wanted. He wanted to drink, he wanted women, he wanted to do what he had clearly seen or heard about others doing. Um, because we can only crave something when we, when we know about it. Um, you can't consider being a pilot if you don't hear about what a pilot is or what, what a flight is. So he, the only way for him to want this was that he was exposed to it somewhere he knew about it. So the prodigal son saw the wealth that was in front of him as contemptible. He wasn't happy the fact that he lived fine, that they had food, that they had drink, that his dad was rich. To him, this was negative, right? He wanted something more. And this is really important to think about. Because in this analogy, especially if we're looking at the Father as God, this guy is in heaven, right? He's in heaven and he is not happy. How many of us have thought to ourselves, 
you know, if I only had such and such, um, if they only let me do this or that, right, then I'd be happy, then I'd be content. All I'm asking for is insert that one thing here. All I really want is that thing, and if I can just have that thing, I won't be upset, I won't desire anything. But the story is always the same. If you don't have contentment, okay, then the so-called one thing is really not one thing, okay? It's, it's many things. And the issue is that you have a lust issue. You want things and you are not content. So what makes a person unhappy? Wanting anything other than what you already have. It's actually that simple. That's all unhappiness is, is wanting something that I don't have, whether it's psychological, whether it's physical, whether it's material, it's, it's wanting something other than that. If you are driving home and you wish you were with your friends, you're going to have a miserable car ride. If you're with your friends and you wish you were at work, you're going to have a miserable time with your friends. If you're at work and you wish you were somewhere else, you're going to be miserable at work. Wanting anything other than where you are is going to be what makes you um, unhappy. The focus is somewhere else. And this is why our Lord said, give us this day our daily bread. Right? He's saying focus on today. Don't have your mind outside of today. He also said, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Right? He said, deal with today. Don't deal with tomorrow. Don't deal with the future. That will make you unhappy. Deal with right now because all you can deal with is right now. But the lust of the heart is a very powerful thing, right? Wanting something else is a very powerful thing. It can make someone, even while being in the very presence of God, be miserable, right? This is, this is the story of Lucifer, right? Lucifer was with God himself, right? And because he lusted, because he wanted more than that, even being in the power of God, was in the presence of God, wasn't good enough for him. He wanted the prestige of God. He wanted the power of God. He wanted the authority of God. He was not happy to be Lucifer. But the problem is this. He is Lucifer, right? That is his identity, right? And so wanting to be someone other than his own identity caused all the problems, um, which is what most of us have as well. And this is a big deal. Um, sometimes I, I hear people say or, or, or see them feel something like, I did church and the religious thing and I wasn't happy. I did this and that insert activity here and it didn't do anything for me. Is that po possible? Yeah, it's definitely possible. It's also kind of wrong, right? It's possible, but it's, it's wrong. Because the question is, what does that mean? Just because you weren't happy with something, does that mean that that thing was wrong? Or is it just that you had your own wants? It doesn't mean that it was wrong. Is that something else that you want even good for you just because it makes you, quote-unquote, happy? And that's a question. Another question is, do you even know what it meant to be at church? Right? Did you know what it meant to be part of that group? So if someone might have an amazing group of friends that have nothing to do with church, and that person might want to, want to do drugs, for example. So if he runs off and does his drug stint for a bit, he, might he find satisfaction there? He might. 
right? Especially at the beginning. But objectively speaking, what that person is doing is wrong. It is bad for him on many levels. And the group of friends that he left, whether from church or not, were right, right? In saying that this isn't good for you. So leaving them and not finding contentment with them didn't make them bad friends, didn't make them a wrong group, right? The issue is that you wanted to do something different from the group that you're with. Whereas the better question should be, is what I want actually right or not on an objective level? So a person can leave something good because he wants something wrong. But the problem is that I use drugs as an obvious example. But sometimes the wrong isn't clear, right? It's not as clear as we think, right? It's not always so obvious as, oh, well, that's drugs. Sometimes it's something else that we want that isn't good for us, but that I think is, and that's what I want. And that's what the son did. Right? He felt that where he was, was lame. Right? He thought that where he was, was boring. He thought that compared to what everyone else he knows had, that this was not a good place to be. He wanted something else, and he didn't care about his household. This I don't care attitude is where the lack of love is. It's that my wants are way more important than yours, so see you all later. That's, that's what he's saying. Actually, if you think about the son said to the dad, it was actually a lot stronger than, than see y'all later. What he actually was saying in asking for his inheritance was probably one of the cruelest things that can ever be said. In saying, I want your, my inheritance now, he's saying, I want to live like you're dead. That's what he's saying, right? So you're dead to me, give me the money as though you're dead, and let me do whatever I want with it. This was the real thing that he was saying to his dad, which is extremely, obviously, more hurtful than just saying, I want to leave you, right? It's saying that I not only want to leave you, but I wish you were dead, right? So let's pretend that you are and move on with my life. This is despicable by most people's standards. But what's baffling about this is that the father said, okay, Right? No problem, here you go. Right? He didn't say, how dare you speak to me this way. Right? He didn't say, look at all the things that I did for you. Look at all the things going well for you. None of that. He just said, I respect your will. If this is what you want, you can have it. Right? At much pain, I'm sure, to the father. The father respected the son's will. Perhaps there was pleading with him before he left from his mom right, or from his friends saying, Habibi, think about this. Right? Is this the right thing? Um, but nobody could convince him, and he left. He left everyone who was part of his life, who shared commonality with him, totally behind. He showed them what he thought about them by walking away. Right? His walking away was a very clear um, depiction of, of how he felt. Then he filled himself up with the things that he thought were going to bring him joy. And I have no doubt that at the beginning he probably felt happy. Right? I don't think that he left and immediately felt miserable. I think he probably really felt liberated, right? Of like, oh, finally I don't have my parents over me. Finally I don't have these pressures. Finally I can do whatever I want. And I'm sure that he enjoyed himself immensely. Because there's always a thrill in doing something new, no matter what it is. When something is new, it's almost always enjoyable at first. There's new emotions, new experiences, new relationships. There are even aspects of the experience that are probably not bad. 
Surely there are nice people out there, people who are caring. I'm sure there are people he met that were actually kind. Um, but it was the blind leading the blind. Think of a gym, for example, um, with no personal trainers, okay, or a swimming pool, right, or a beach where there are no um, lifeguards of any kind. So people can jump up and down and have lots of fun, right? They're doing stuff that they think is fun. And a trend could evolve. Someone can think of a new idea and decide to try this new thing. Everyone will copy and everyone with good intentions could be harmed, right? Imagine if, if there's no personal trainers at the gym and everyone decided to just take random dumbbells and just throw them around, right? Thinking that that's what dumbbells are for, right? Someone or many people could get seriously injured, right? But it's, it's the blind leading the blind. Instead of asking is this good for me, right? We just evaluate pleasure, right? Very emotionally, we're just looking for whether or not we're having fun. So I can only imagine what kind of grief was going on at home, right? About the younger kid while he's having this party. And it also wouldn't surprise me that while these people are lamenting their son and sad about their son and thinking about their son, the younger son was probably cursing the family back home, right, and talking about how bad they were and how cruel they were and how they ruined his life, how they couldn't have any fun because of them. People who are self-absorbed, okay, people who usually only think about themselves, are often usually seeing themselves as victims, right? They usually feel very victimized. People find it very difficult to admit that they could be wrong, right? That they are the issue, they'd rather play the role of the victim. So instead of talking about how they could be wrong, they'll talk about how someone else made them do what they did. Even if they realize they did something wrong, it'll be like, yeah, it was wrong, but I did it because how awful my parents were. I did it because how this person should have done this for me and they didn't. How my friend wasn't there for me when I needed them and consequently I had to do such and such. They will, they will play the role of a victim. They'll justify their mistakes because someone provoked them. This pride is why so many people after they mess up don't come around, right? Or they don't for a very long time because they, they do not want to admit that irrespective of who and, and where and what the rest of the world failed, that they had a responsibility that they didn't keep. This is what happened with this kid. Even after he ran out of money, right, he accepted to feed pigs. He accepted to have one of the least prestigious jobs in existence for the sake of ha not having to own up, right, to what he did. Right? He's like, I'm willing to do anything no matter how long it takes just to not have to say that I was wrong, that I was mistaken, that things didn't work out as I planned, and that it wasn't as good as I thought, and that I really thought the world of all these people and they weren't there even, right, when I, when I took that lifestyle. So he takes the least of these. He'd rather feed pigs than having to admit that he was wrong. And it's clear that he had already stopped having fun because reality had set in. There's no such thing as freedom when you are a slave to something, anything. So he got fun, but then realized soon that there was a cost to it, right? Because he thought that it was, it was easy. He got lots of money, and now he ran out of money. Our passions have costs, 
that we don't see at first. Lusts take things from us. Time, money, energy, health, you name it. The things that we want cost us, and we sometimes don't realize that. A person who is addicted to drugs, again, to use the obvious example, but insert your passion here, doesn't have to be drugs, is going to have an emotionally wonderful time while he's high. Right? I, I hear it's great. But it's not free. It's costing him money, right? The addict, it costs him a lot of money. It costs them relationships, right? Because they end up losing a lot of their friends. A lot of times they lose their family. It costs them work because they can't concentrate long enough to hold the job for long or they start coming late. It costs them health. It costs them many things, right? So even though they feel amazing, right, during this period of being high, it's a very expensive feeling, very expensive feeling. Insert whatever the thing is that you're obsessed with here and realize that it does cost you immensely. Over time, the cost becomes more and more apparent. That's why it usually ends up with, with drugs, for example, in a major accident or death, unfortunately. This kid was actually lucky. He ran out of money, not health. Right? That was a luckier situation. He probably lost his new friends when he couldn't finance his addictions anymore. And he also lost his prestige. But for all that wrong that the kid did, he did start to do something right. Selfish for sure, okay, but right. And I say selfish because the moment that the son came to his senses wasn't exact, exactly a loving thought, right? The text says that he came to himself, which in modern words means he came to his senses, right? He had this eureka moment. The eureka moment was not, oh, my dad loves me, right? That wasn't what, what brought him to his senses. Um, I wish, right? That would be a perfect full house moment. No, instead, right, it's, hey, my dad's servants are living the life compared to me. They're living it up while I'm practically dying. I wonder if I could get a job as his servant. This eureka moment is pivotal. Right? But this is still selfish. Right? So it was a good move. But it wasn't like, oh wow, my dad loves me. It was, what can I get? Right? It was actually still very, very selfish. Right? It wasn't, I messed up, I treated him badly, I showed them that I don't care, I said all these things. No, it was, I am poor and I would like to have something and maybe my dad can hook me up. Right? It wasn't anything more than that. But even this was good. Right? Even this was the beginning of a change of, of heart. This Eureka is pivotal because it shows us many things. It shows us stuff about the son and about the dad. Obviously, the kid doesn't get his dad. Right? He thinks he understands his dad. Clearly, he doesn't. Um, he thinks his dad is going to want to own him when he gets home. And, and he's hoping to compromise on the punishment right? by landing a job as a slave. Right? He's like, maybe I can negotiate with him. He'll probably like, freak out on me. But maybe I can negotiate and I can, I can be hired. It shows another thing, as we said, that the kid is still completely selfish. He's not thinking at all about what he did to his dad or his family or friends. He's self-loving. He wants stuff, right? So he's asking his dad to let him back. And it shows us that the son's regret over his past life is not really totally sincere, right? Because he's not condemning his past life, right? He's just thinking about where he's at now. We are all that guy. Okay, myself included. Every single one of us is, is that kid. 
right? This is not a story about someone else. This is a story about you, and it's a story um, about me. We love ourselves very much, and we think very highly of ourselves. We think we know everything. We think we are smarter than everyone else. We think that nobody else gets it. Think of how many times where you think to yourself, he doesn't get it, she doesn't get it, they don't get it, they don't get me, right? We, we think we get everything that nobody else does it and we're quick to say that. We think that we know what we need and what we want and what will correct things. We basically love our own will and we chase after our own lusts. But the eureka moment, that moment of repentance, because repentance is just a changing of mind, showed us something more beautiful about the Father. Because the Father knew all of this. The Father knew how awful this kid was, how unappreciative and how unloving he was. He knew that the kid was self-centered and wanted everything for himself. He knew all of that, right? This wasn't a shock to him. And what was his response? He stood watching and waiting for the moment that his son would come home. In spite of knowing all of these characteristics of his kid. He ran to him, right? He ran to him. It doesn't say he was waiting and, and with his arms crossed. It says that he ran towards him, burst into tears, and embraced him in his filth, right? He didn't say, like, go take a shower and then I can... No. With all the pig stuff, all the stuff all over him, right, gave him the warmest embrace. His son who smelled like swine and who had wished his own death, is the same person that this father is embracing. And as his son starts to recite the words that he rehearsed, right, the father cuts him off. He's like, shh, no. Right? He didn't even let him finish this request to be a slave. And then says, don't you know that you're my son? Right? This is your identity. He restores him, right? He restores him his identity. He gives him back his rights as a son, he gives him back what the person himself had mocked, despised, and walked away from. He gave him new garments, right, the garments of salvation, the tunic of baptism, the image and likeness of God himself. He threw a feast for him, and he continued to give in spite of everything. This is what love is, right, is to deny myself for someone else. Not expecting anything, not worrying about what the person thinks of me. The father denies his own rights as a father, his rights over his son, these are his rights, his dignity and his honor. You name it, he counted it as nothing compared to the joy that he had for his son's return. I'm sure that the son was willing to learn about what it means to be a son. I'm sure that there was instruction after this. But that day there was a celebration, right? This was, that, this was the time for rejoicing. So wherever you are in life, no matter where you are in the journey, come back, right? Go home. Don't worry about fixing yourself. The son didn't go home with new clothes, right? The son came with his dirty clothes. Don't say, I need to fix myself before I go back. You can't fix yourself, right? You dug yourself into a hole just like this kid did. Nothing he could do could fix it. Right? Go home. Go home and let your father fix it. It is God who gives us the new clothes, not we to ourselves. Even if you think you're coming for the wrong reasons, 
it's okay, come home. So did he. Don't make excuses. Don't say that you're not doing it for God, you're doing it for yourself. Just come, return, and let the Father embrace you with the same joy that he received the prodigal son. We who are dead must return and live. And glory be to our God forever and ever into the age of ages. Amen.